Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your love that was demonstrated in Jesus. And as we look at another story in the life of Jesus and his disciples, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would help us see something, hear something, understand something that, uh, that we need, that would honor you and glorify you. Pray that your spirit would be at work in our hearts. In your name we pray, amen. I grew up in a family of six people. I had three younger brothers. They're all bigger than me now. And uh, a mom and a dad. So there were six of us. And it's amazing how many dishes can be produced by six people eating throughout the day. I know this because I was the dishwasher. We, uh, produced a lot, and after dinner, I had to do the dishes, so I did not look forward to after dinner time. And we had a dishwasher. Unfortunately for me, his name was Jeff, and that's just how it was. There was one night where we could skip the dishes, and that didn't mean what it does today. It was Friday night, because Saturday, I could get up in the morning and do the dishes. So uh, I didn't look forward to Saturday mornings either. Well, one Saturday morning, we had a, a mountain of dishes on the counter. It felt like that counter was just piled high with dishes. I don't know if we had company the night before. I just remember not looking forward to those dishes in, on the mor- in the morning. So Saturday morning came, and I had to get up and do the dishes. And of course, I didn't want to, so I delayed and I went back to sleep, and then I woke up, dishes, went back to sleep, or I don't know how long that went on, and I finally realized it's gonna happen, I just gotta get up and do it. So I got up and did the dishes, got done, and woke up. And that's really awful because I've already done the dishes and now I gotta do them again. I dreamt of doing the dishes, now I have to go and do them. So I was really frustrated got up again, started the dishes, and woke up again. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, a dream within a dream or a dream that keeps on going that uh, just doesn't seem to end, but it kind of felt like Groundhog Day before that movie even was produced where he had to relive the day again and again. I was reliving those dishes and not enjoying it. Well, maybe you've had that kind of thing but I think you probably have had a deja vu moment. You know that French saying that means already seen? People uh, say it's like experiencing something that, as you're experiencing it, I've been here before, I've done this before. Well, today's passage feels like a deja vu passage. And it does because it's one of the most, it's two stories from the Book of Mark that are the most similar. It's like, they might have been the same story. In fact, some scholars think that maybe this is a retelling of the same story because it's so similar. And I was going to just read it and have you think about uh, where it might have been or why it's deja vu, but, but I don't want you to be distracted by that. I want you to pay attention. So speaking of distractions, we've distracted you with some goldfish crackers that you've been waiting for. 
I will just tell you, this is another feeding of thousands of people. So we're gonna feed you with fish and uh, bread, which are joined together here. That's what Jesus has multiplied. So go ahead and open these, get the distraction over with. And what we're hoping is that every time you see goldfish, you'll think of this feeding of the thousands of people and that Jesus is the source, right? Uh, the, uh, the one who can multiply what we, what's been given. Isn't this wonderful, all these packages being ripped open? So, as I said, these passages feel like they're the same event. However, there's enough differences to lead us to the conclusion that these are two separate events. And we believe that Mark tells the story that happened with Jesus, and he's telling it accurately. He's been inspired and enabled to record for us what, what we need to know about Jesus and about what happened. So even though this sounds familiar as we read it, I want to encourage you, there's a really good reason why it's similar yet different. And we don't, we don't have to wonder if Jesus could feed thousands of people. We have seen over and over again that he does amazing things. He casts out armies of demons from one person. He treads on the waves of the sea. He calms the sea with his voice. He feeds thousands of people just by keeping on handing out the bread and fish that he has. He can feed thousands of people as many times as he wants. So we think these are two, story, two separate stories, two separate events. Let's read Mark 8, 1 through 10 together. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied, as we are doing right now, right? Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. Like I said before, this sounds like a deja vu story. There are many similarities. And if you were to put them side by side, I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, you can flip back and forth between chapter 8 and chapter 6, where these two stories happen. But if you were put, to put them side by side, you'd notice several things that are similar. There's a large crowd in both that gathers. Jesus has compassion on the people in both stories. There's concern that there's no food and where are we gonna get enough bread to satisfy everyone? Jesus asked the disciples in both, how many loaves do you have? The people are directed to sit in both. Jesus breaks the bread and distributes to the disciples who distribute to the people in both and it just keeps happening. And there's an abundance of food left over in both. It's no wonder that people think is this a retelling of the same story? However, the differences are significant and almost magnified because of the similarities. And it leads us to realize this is a very intentional 
event. Two weeks ago, we looked at the last two stories in chapter seven, and that these come right before the story that we're reading now. We noticed at the beginning of those two stories in chapter seven, verse 24, that Jesus intentionally left the region of Galilee. This was a Jewish region that he was focusing his ministry on until this point in his ministry. And he intentionally leaves to go to Tyre and Sidon and, and uh, the Decapolis. And this is, these are very Gentile regions. In the first story, we saw someone that the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders especially, would have, would have rejected, would have not engaged with, would have sent away because they were, they were pagan, they were not Jewish. They, it was like they were unclean. And this was a non-Jewish woman from a foreign pagan land. And this person gets Jesus, understands Jesus in a way that not even his disciples, let alone the Jewish leaders, have understood him. So Jesus, he enters Gentile territory and people that Jewish people would have rejected, they are more receptive than the Jewish leaders are. In our story for today, this story we just read, every indication is that he's still in the Decapolis, still a Gentile region, so the crowd that gathers would likely be a Gentile crowd. And we noticed from the story in chapter six, it was in Galilee, this was a Jewish crowd, and we also noticed that, that it was likely made up of Jewish zealots. These would have been people that wanted to make Jesus king by force. And so these were the people that should have understood Jesus, but they're, they're not getting it, the Jewish people. The crowd that he's with now is a Gentile crowd. And notice what Jesus says in verse two says, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. The Jewish crowd from chapter six, they had been with Jesus for a few hours. This Gentile crowd is with Jesus for three days. Verse three goes on to say that many of them have come from a long way away. It seems that this deja vu story is intentionally set up to show the similarities in order to enhance the differences between this Jewish crowd in chapter six, the Jewish crowd that we talked about before, and the Gentile crowd in chapter eight. The Jewish crowd was intent on their own vision for who Jesus was supposed to be. This Gentile crowd spends three days with Jesus. They receive him as he is. They spend time with him. They want to be with him. They come from far away just to be with Jesus. Since Jesus has left the region of Galilee, he, he's been welcomed and received by the Gentile people in a way that the Jewish people who should have, haven't. And let me just point out that Jesus isn't showing any favoritism either way here. We noted in the stories from chapter 7 that God's intent was to form the nation of Israel in order to bless this nation, but not exclusively so that the blessing could be uh, passed on to all people. The Jewish people were blessed in order to be a blessing to all people. God has always wanted to bless all people and he formed the Israelite people in order to be the vessel through which he did that. However, the Jewish people, they've distorted the blessing. 
They weren't sharing it. They had turned it into an us-against-them mentality, one where they were blessed and others weren't. And so they, they were almost like they were blessed at the expense of others. They tried to hold on to their blessing to, to protect it as if it was only enough and maybe not even enough for them. Jesus didn't come to take away their blessing. He came to announce his abundant blessing for everyone that's available to everyone. He came to fulfill the original purpose of the formation of this Jewish nation that he would bless individual people so that then that blessing would be passed on to others. And then those people could be connected to Jesus and then they could be a vessel through which God passed on the blessing to others. So Jesus, he came to Galilee first. He started his ministry focused on these Israelite people who were supposed to be the avenue of his blessing. The people that were blessed in order to be a blessing to all people, and he blessed them. He cured their illnesses. He, he taught the Jewish people about the kingdom that he was bringing, the kingdom of God, the perfect kingdom that was breaking into the world that they could be a part of. He fed the crowd of thousands. But as the Israelite leaders, the Israelite religious leaders grew in their opposition to him, he went into the Gentile regions to share the blessing there as well, to show that nobody is to be neglected from the opportunity of being a part of this kingdom that Jesus was the good king of. And he fed the Gentile crowd of 4,000 who had been with him for three days with nothing to eat. There's another difference that's between this story in chapter eight and the story in chapter six, it's that Jesus plays a more personal role here. In chapter six, Jesus, the, uh, the disciples bring the uh, need before Jesus. In chapter eight, Jesus points out the need and, it, and, it, and he takes more of a direct role in directing the people. In chapter six, verse 34, Mark talks about Jesus's compassion for the people, but he talks about it in third person. He had compassion on the crowd. In chapter eight, Jesus says, I have compassion for these people. Jesus is intentionally identifying with the people in our passage this morning in a way that, that the Jewish people rejected Gentile people. He's intentionally identifying with the Gentile people that have been with him for three days. They are hungry. Yes, they're hungry for food, but they're more hungry for Jesus. The word for compassion that's used is, uh, it, it means to be moved to one's bowels. This sounds really weird to us. We'd probably say something more like this, moved to the core of my heart or something. Uh, and, it, and it doesn't mean a bowel movement, okay? <laughs> at, the at the time this was written, the bowels were considered to be the seat of love and mercy, the core of a person's love and mercy. So for Jesus to be moved to his bowels meant that he was moved to the core of who he was. He cared deeply for these people. Now, imagine you are one of Mark's original readers of this story. They are, he's writing to a Gentile crowd. 
and you're, you're not an Israelite person. So as a Gentile, when you notice Jesus identifying with this Gentile crowd so personally, this would be wonderfully comforting and assuring to you. I'm not sure what's going on with the disciples. Last time they noticed people needed food within a few hours. This time it's been three days and Jesus is the one who notices. He's the one who directs the disciples. And again, their reaction is, is one of bewilderment and confusion. Where are we going to get enough? Haven't they just been with Jesus when he did this before? Where, where's their deja vu moment? Have they forgotten? What's going on with them? They're just, for some reason, they're still not getting it. They're with Jesus, the source of creation, the one who multiplied food before, the one who who healed so many people, who, who, who does amazing things, are they incompetent? Are they stuck in the Jewish mindset that we talked about, where the people think that they're supposed to have the blessing and only them? We don't know. Mark doesn't tell us, but we do see that Jesus is patient with them, and he directs them, and they do obey. They find seven loaves of bread and and a few small fish. Jesus directs the crowd to sit on the ground. He gives thanks to his heavenly Father, and then he breaks the bread, and everyone, and he gives to the disciples, and everyone is satisfied. The wording here in verse 6, he takes the bread, gives thanks, breaks it, and gives to the disciples. It's, uh, It's kind of foreshadowing something that comes later. It's very similar to Mark 14. Jesus celebrates a Jewish festival called the Passover. We think of it as the Last Supper. He celebrates with his disciples on the day he was going to, or just before he was about to be betrayed. And listen to what it says in Mark 14, 22. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. In chapter 8, our passage, he takes bread, gives thanks, breaks it, and gives it to his disciples who distribute it to the people. It's the same order. But then in Mark 14, 22, he does something really interesting. He changes the meaning and he says, take, eat, this is my body. The bread becomes a symbol for Jesus' body. The Apostle Paul tells us that this is something we're to do regularly as we remember Jesus and what he did for us. We call it the Lord's Supper or communion. We celebrate this once a month here. Listen to the words that we read so often from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 24. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We take bread that symbolizes Jesus' body, and we eat it. In chapter 8, our passage for this morning, Jesus takes bread, he breaks it, or he gives thanks, he breaks it, and he gives it to the disciples to give to the people, and they're satisfied. Later, Jesus does the same thing, but he says it's his body that he's giving. The word for satisfied in this passage, in verse 8, is the same word that's actually used earlier, but not in our translation. It's translated feed. In verse 4, the disciples, they asked Jesus, how can we find enough to feed to satisfy so many people? 
Jesus provides more than enough to satisfy. Jesus is the abundant bread of life. He's the only one who can satisfy the needs of people. As I pondered this passage, what Jesus does, what the disciples do, this Jewish mindset of, of holding on to the blessing, um, I can't help realize how similar God's people are today to the way the Jewish people were, the way the disciples are. We, we're so prone to forget. The disciples were just with Jesus when he did this before, and, or they're, they're holding on to a mindset that's, that's skewed. We come to Jesus, we experience his, his blessing of forgiveness, of acceptance into this new life, into this new family. We, we, we start becoming a part of a new community of people who follow him. But not too much time passes and our attention begins to shift from gratefulness and excitement to what we struggle with, to what's difficult for us, what we think should be different. Instead of delighting in our new calling, our new purpose, we start to get upset at other people for doing things that we don't think are right or, or they think they should do without realizing it. Sometimes that we start to fall into this us versus them mentality that the Jewish people were doing. We begin to focus on what's wrong and instead of being part of the solution, we blame or we complain or we get used to being around people who are like us and we begin to look down on people that aren't, the people who think differently or look differently or do things differently. This is what happened to the Israelite people. They saw themselves as the chosen and they, they were the blessed. They were called to be set apart, yes. They, they were called to be differently than those who don't know God, but they weren't supposed to do that to exclude other people. They were supposed to live different as an invitation for other people to be a part of, to be welcomed in, to join a, a relationship with the almighty God who wants to transform and bless everyone. Jesus goes to the people the Israelite people have rejected. He has compassion on them. He cares for them. He includes them. He feeds them. If you've been hurt by God's people, been hurt by the church, I'm really sorry. That's not how it's supposed to be. God's people hurting people is not what the church is meant to be. He loves you. He offers you life. He wants his church to be a place of blessing. Be blessed to bless. And he doesn't give up on his church. If you're prone to give up on the church, he doesn't give up. He's patient. He's patient with his disciples. He's patient with them when they don't get it. He's patient with his church even when it's off track. But he wants us to refocus on Jesus and his desire for all people to know him. He wants us to have compassion on people who are different than us. He wants us to share our blessings. And he does want us to strive for holiness. 
He doesn't want us to impose our convictions on society, though. He wants us to live holy lives because he is holy and we've been called and empowered to do so, to strive for that. He wants us to live it as an example, as an invitation for others to join, not to judge and condemn those who don't. He's the judge. He'll judge fairly. We're supposed to We're supposed to spur each other on to holiness, but in love, in compassion, to glorify and honor Jesus and to invite others to join. Jesus wants all people to have the opportunity to be forgiven. And like the disciples, they're just not getting it. He's patient and he's patient with us. He empowered them with his Holy Spirit They were his plan to share the good news. We are still his plan to share the good news. The church is his plan. And we're to do it through how we love each other, how we live together, how we share with each other, and how we love and have compassion on our community, on the people around us, the people we go to. There's another comparison between chapter 6 and chapter 8. In the story from chapter six, the disciples pick up 12 baskets full of leftovers from the feeding of the Jewish people. In this chapter, chapter eight, the disciples pick up seven baskets full of leftovers from the Gentile crowd that he feeds. The numbers 12 and seven are very significant in the Bible, very symbolic. For the Jewish people, 12 was the number of tribes that that Israel was identified by. They were divided by, and that that was the complete nation was divided into these 12 tribes. It was the number of the apostles that Jesus appointed as he was establishing a new covenant community. When Jesus feeds the Jewish people, there are 12 baskets full of leftovers. Could this be? Could this be symbolic? of how Jesus is the one who satisfies Israel to completion. The number seven is also extremely important in the Bible, not just in the, in the Israelite community. It, it, was, it was important in the ancient Near Eastern cultures as well. When the Hebrew language was beginning to be written, only the consonants were written down. The number seven is spelled with three consonants, ayin, bet, and sheen. The word for complete or full is spelled exactly this, with exactly the three consonants in the same order. The number seven was very symbolic for completeness or fullness. When Jesus fed the Gentile crowd, there were seven baskets full of leftovers. Could this have been symbolic of how Jesus is bringing the plan for all people to completeness? The Jewish people, they've forgotten that they were blessed in order to be a blessing to the nations. Jesus purposely goes to the Gentiles. He began with the Israelite people. He loved them. He cared for them. He provided for them. He taught them. He did miracles with them. And although the Jewish leaders misunderstood who he was as the Messiah, although the Jewish people excluded the Gentiles, Jesus went to them. He loved Gentile people like he loved the Jews. He had compassion on them in the same way. 
He healed their illnesses. He touched them. He fed them. God's not on one side or the other of our human divisions. God loves all people. He has compassion on all people. He holds the invitation out for forgiveness, for acceptance, for belonging, for purpose, for real life to anyone who will receive it. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? How's he inviting you to respond? As always, your invitation is to turn to Jesus, whether it's for the hundredth time or for the first time. If you've never asked Jesus to forgive you, he's the only one that can satisfy. And he can forgive. He can give you life, empower you with the Holy Spirit. He's standing here now with open arms, inviting you to turn to him. Ask him to forgive you. Give your life to him. Let him fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe your invitation is to admit that you're like the Jewish people. I have to admit that. We have something against another person or another group. Sometimes we don't even notice it. You look down on a certain person or people that are different, think differently than you do, look differently than you do, act differently than you do. We're so quick to judge, to blame, to complain, to dismiss. Confess that to Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit to change your attitude and start praying for those people that you may struggle with. Pray that God would change your heart, that he'd break your heart, move you to your bowels for these people like Jesus did. Jesus is the only person who can fully satisfy. And like he satisfied the Jewish crowd, like he satisfied the Gentile crowd, his provision is more than enough. We may not understand how he provides sometimes. It may feel like he's not providing the way we wish he would. Well, like the Jewish people, maybe that's a problem with us. But we can trust him. He's moved to his core with compassion for you, for me, for all people he loves, and he wants to satisfy you. How will you say yes to Jesus today? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for Jesus, the bread of life, the abundant bread of life. God, we We don't have to let the worries of our life here consume us because you have it all under control. You have a perfect plan that we may not quite understand, just like the Jewish people. They really struggled to understand who this Messiah was. But your plan was bigger, and your plan is bigger. Whatever we're struggling with you with, you're bigger than that. And you love us more than we understand you do. Help us to trust you. Help us to give up our sense of control that we struggle to give up and trust you because you are better. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.